for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. I mean, it's been a hell of a ride. I want to thank all of you all for downloading and subscribing. Uh, today, I'll be interviewing my sister, my friend, my colleague, and fellow South Carolinian from Lower Richland, Nia Malika Henderson. Uh, but before I get to her, I wanted to talk about what's happening in Georgia, particularly the Republican strategy around Senate Democratic candidate Reverend Raphael Warnock. Now, it goes without saying that I am a vocal supporter of Reverend Warnock. There is no one in the United States Senate, particularly amongst the Democratic Senate caucus, with the kind of moral credibility that Reverend Warnock would bring. And after four years of Trump and a Senate chamber run by Mitch and Lindsey Graham, we need some moral clarity in Washington, and particularly in the Senate. He's obviously right on policy and politics for me but he's also right on principle on so many issues. And he's led a life that reflects that. But in leading such a life, particularly as a black preacher from the prophetic tradition that he hails from, that means speaking truth on race and social justice. Now, obviously for most democratic voters, his brand of faith is not an issue. The black church has always been the conscience of the country and that includes liberal American politics. But to Republicans, his faith has been an invitation for demagoguery, race baiting, and the othering of Reverend Warnock in negative ads. And if you saw Kelly Leffler's debate performance last week, well, (laughs) you saw that it was clear Georgia Republicans believe that the way to take down Warnock and Ossoff is to make Raphael Warnock a crazy black preacher, which is both bullshit and racist, but you all already know that. What's equally clear, though, is that Kelly Leffler didn't really have to offer a vision for what she'll do for Georgia, and she doesn't think she has to offer one in order to win. Whether or not it's the stock trading or just the blind loyalty to the Trump family, she is the clearest example of a party that has nothing left to offer but grift and corruption. No ideas, no vision, no path for getting us out of COVID or protecting our lives or keeping our businesses open or putting money in our pocket. Nothing. Just hate and grifting. Sometimes you know you're doing the right thing by taking stock of who's against you. And it's clear to me that my Morehouse brother, Raphael Warnock, has Georgia Republicans on the ropes because they've done everything short of calling him a child of God in this runoff. So let's make sure we do all we can in order to get him across the line, because if he wins, I'm almost certain he gets John Ossoff across the line, too. It's clear that Republicans believe that, and we've got to stop them. If you're in Georgia, make sure you plan to vote. Make sure everyone you know in Georgia goes to vote when early in-voting starts next week or has their ballot in before January 1st. Request your absentee ballot now if you haven't already and plan to vote by mail and give him some money at warnockforgeorgia.com. And that's that on that. Now on to my show with my sister, friend, and colleague, Nia Malika Henderson. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, 
you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. On today's show of the Bakari Sellers podcast, I have a very special guest, one of my South Carolina homies, none other than Nia Malika Henderson. Good afternoon. How are you doing today? Hey, it's so great to see you to finally be on your podcast. Again, you were on the first iteration of the podcast. I got to always go back to you. Such a wealth of information. We always start our episodes by having our guests walk through the arc of their career, particularly our journalists like you that are household names now. But you started your career with the Baltimore Sun. So talk about that beat and walk us through the evolution of your career from the Baltimore Sun to your work now with CNN. Yeah, I was like a small time local reporter at the Baltimore Sun. I uh, had a little picture of Gwen Eiffel on my computer monitor because I worshipped Gwen Eiffel, uh, the late great Gwen Eiffel. She had worked at the Baltimore Sun, worked at the Washington Post. So in many ways, I saw her as someone I could be. And of course, later I met her and I was on the show. Um, But yeah, I was there just covering local government and eventually ended up going to Newsday covering Obama's campaign in 2008. And that's where I really got my start in terms of uh, national politics and then went to Politico. I, uh, you know, Politico at that time, as I was going there, didn't have a lot of African-American reporters. In some ways, they still don't. Um, (laughs) So I was sitting next to a Politico reporter covering the Obama campaign. And I basically was like, hey, you know, the the Black woman they had was leaving. So I asked this woman, I was like, hey, do you guys want uh, another Black woman uh, to replace the outgoing Black woman who was Helena Andrews? I was sort of joking, but in some ways, that's exactly what happened. So at Politico, and Politico was very much into getting their reporters on TV. So I was on TV a lot at Politico, even though that wasn't my initial you know, decision about going into journalism. I was a print reporter. So yeah, I mean, that's where I just fell in love with national political reporting campaigns, which is what I'm doing now. And uh, here I am, eventually ended up at the Washington Post and made the switch finally uh, and firmly to TV and coming to CNN, even though I do do some writing on the side every once in a while and want to do more of that going forward. But right now it's mainly TV. And you, did you ever expect that you would just go from being a quote unquote journalist to now a a TV journalist? No, I didn't at all. I mean, when I was like a local reporter, it was always very separate. Like you were a print reporter or you were a TV reporter. And the TV reporters, you know, we would, when I was a local reporter, sometimes you're covering like crime scenes or something like that. And, you know, the TV reporters would show up in their fancy clothes and their, you know, big hair (laughs) and their makeup. And there I would be looking like a schlub. And so, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a print reporter. But as I was coming to Politico, that's when you saw more journalists who were on the print side do more TV and at the Washington Post as well. But I have to even say, even when I started the Washington Post, there was still a division between the TV people and the people at the Post who did TV a lot and the people who just did uh, print reporting. But now, I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah. So this isn't a new trend, but so many local papers like The Sun and many others where you started have been cutting budgets. And so much of our news, particularly around government and politics, as uh, news has been nationalized and centered mostly around cable news. 
Yeah. What do we lose when we lose the state and local reporters uh, from so many local papers, especially your smaller daily newspapers that are barely staying afloat? You know, this is a terrible trend. It goes back a few decades now. Uh, a lot of places used to have morning papers and evening papers. And you remember this, maybe, Bakari, in South Carolina, they had, maybe you don't remember this, they had the Columbia Record. You I do remember that? the record, yeah. yes. And then they had the state newspaper. Of course, the Columbia Record ended up closing, but you miss the kind of investigative journalism that you want to have to hold officials accountable uh, in some of these state uh, races. And then you also see this trend where reporters don't really start at those local papers and then move to the national uh, beat at these papers. They kind of just start at Politico. They start almost uh, a lot of times on those national uh, papers so you don't get that sort of experience. Uh, doing the kind of on-the-ground reporting. This is a real uh, bad trend in, in journalism, the death of those papers, you know, papers we grew up with, papers that I aspire to work at, places like yeah. Detroit Free Press, the Miami Herald, that used to be big uh, papers and have national bureaus and international bureaus uh, as well. That really has uh, gone by the wayside, unfortunately. And when you think about it, so is the day of the Black newspaper as well. I yeah. mean, because as these, you know, the larger papers kind of caught a cold, these black newspapers caught the flu. Yeah. Are you seeing the trend of, how about this, in 10, 15, 20 years, will you still have black newspapers that are in circulation? It's hard to imagine that we will. I mean, there's some that are hanging on. I'm actually doing a book now on Shirley Chisholm. So a lot of uh, the work Wait a minute, I'm you're writing, writing a book? Wait, wait, did I miss that? Did yeah, I miss yeah, that announcement? Yeah. I'm writing. <laughs> I guess you you did. I guess when did they uh, last year uh, this was announced that I'm doing this book, a biography of her. So some of the work I'm looking at is how she was covered in the Amsterdam News. But yeah, I think those papers will really uh, go by the wayside. And as you know, they were so important uh, for African Americans. I mean, let alone newspapers. You think about Ebony and the Jet, how important it was. Oh my goodness, yeah. When that came yeah. in the mail, I mean, you would go right to look at the Jet. You see Michael Jackson on the cover of Ebony. No, no, no. I went straight to the Jet Beauty of the Week. I can't even lie to you. <laughs> I can't even lie to you. Jet Beauty of the Week, and then I wanted to look at the top 10 songs of the week to make yeah, sure that yeah, I, 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 I went for top 10. I went for top 10. Um, and then on the back page, it would be like, who's black on TV next week? Yeah. So that was always cool. But yeah, you know, even even a magazine like Vibe, I guess it exists online. So, you know, this is I mean, you uh, had you think about this when you walked into a house. My dad was really big on making sure we had a cross section of news. We had Ebony. We had Jet. We had Vibe. Yeah. We had Source. We had Essence. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And double double XL. <laughs> you had it yeah, all. You I mean, had everything. And then probably Time and Newsweek. As yeah, well. I mean, of course. You had that. Yeah. Maybe. And my uh, mom would have a National Enquirer just because. Yeah, National Enquirer. Just- <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. How do those things make it? I, the National Enquirer and the, they're still around. How do no, they make yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. They're still around. I mean, they were very important to Donald Trump's <laughs> in fact. Um, so. I don't know if they'll still be around post uh, Donald Trump, but uh, yeah. Is your mom, is there, are people still subscribing in your, in your family? She doesn't subscribe, but she does hold up the grocery line because she reads it for free <laughs> in the grocery store. So I, you know, yeah, that's yeah. Gwen. But yeah. look, I want to switch gears to Georgia and particularly a pattern we've seen of late regarding my good friend, Reverend Raphael Warnock. There was a great piece written in the New York Times recently um, about Georgia Republicans' strategy of turning Warnock into Jeremiah Wright and not directing much smoke at all to John Ossoff. 
Now, Warnock is from a prophetic tradition in the black church where you speak truth and truth makes some white folk uncomfortable. Can black candidates be completely honest about race and still be competitive statewide? You know, we've seen a couple of examples of uh, of this over the last uh, cycles. Andrew Gillum, I thought, ran, ran a hell of a race. He was on your show, of course. He's a friend of ours. Ran a hell of a race in, yeah. in Florida. Stacey Abrams ran a hell of a race in Georgia uh, as well. Ended up losing by 55,000 votes. What did Gillum lose by? 32,000? 30 some thousand votes. I mean, you can find those votes. in one church in Miami-Dade. Yeah, yeah. And so you did, oh, listen, Obama set a certain tradition of how you can campaign as a Black candidate, which was in many ways... Um, not exactly to stiff arm black people, but not sound like you would be the president of black America, right? And Axelrod so, says they never had to talk about the history or him being a black candidate because people could see it. I mean, it was a great strategy, yeah. but it leaves some, you know, people wanting more. Right. And, and listen, Obama did this odd thing, which was to go to black churches and black people and sort of lecture them about the deficiencies in black America and in, in, in black culture, uh, which was an, an odd strategy. And I don't think you see black candidates uh, who are replicating that approach this go around. I do think uh, they are much more talking uh, about their blackness. I mean, think about the way Cory Booker, like think yeah. about uh, his announcement video and the drums for Newark and, and sort of embracing uh, the fact that he was, uh, you know, the, the mayor of Newark. So we'll see what happens with Warnock. It's, it's always very easy, I think, for uh, white people to caricature black candidates as socialists, as radical, as extreme. I mean, they did that with Obama, who is the most mild mannered uh, sort of center, uh, you know, center left candidate. And so with Warnock, it's certainly something uh, that they'll do. And, and this could be successful because we know about uh, the racial politics in the South very well. And you, let me ask you this question. I've asked someone else um, uh, this question as well. Do you think that we can have or that we set unrealistic expectations for black candidates? Because now you either you have to be, and I think we saw saw this a little bit in this last presidential primary, which you covered, you have to be Barack Obama. And even more, you have to be Barack Obama and have your Michelle. Um, do you think that, do you think that we're setting these unrealistic kind of patiently waiting for Messiah expectations on Black candidates? Yeah, in some ways. You know, listen, Barack Obama, probably the most gifted politician in the last hundred years, you know, in terms of his intellect, in terms of his charisma, his poise, his polish. I mean, he could have been anything, right? He could have been like Denzel Washington, you know, or the president. I mean, that's how just good and charismatic and smart he is. And he just pops through the television screen as well. And that's hard. That's hard for a white candidate. And that's that's hard for a black candidate uh, as well. So I do think there are unrealistic uh, expectations and folks are sort of always in the shadow of Barack Obama. Maybe years from now, that won't be the case, but he certainly looms Large And there were also, I think, these expectations, and Gwen Eiffel wrote a book about this, all of these yes. expectations, right, of who the next Obama would yeah. be. Would it I be was in that book. I know. They, that was in oh, a chapter. It was yeah. me. It, and she was discussing me and Kamala Harris, of all people. Yes. I mean, yes. so I mean, Kamala's like, the VP. The bar, the, bar, the bar just gets higher and higher. I'm like, oh, my goodness. 
<laughs> I'm just trying to get some sleep, man. My twins yeah. are up all night. I, that's, oh I, my god, Bella <laughs> was up. My girl was up from two to three. Just, just want to hang out. It's so late. my Stokely woke up and was crying, and I was like, "It got to be six thirty. So I popped up and looked at the clock. It was one thirty. Yeah. He woke his sister up. We brought both of them in the bed, and then she fell asleep. He wanted to play. Then he went to sleep. Then she wanted to play. And finally, we got sleep about four and yeah. five. It, I mean, it's so, just so there. Because how old are they now? They are twenty three months. They will have their second birthday on January seventh. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah how does How does Bella? Bella is nine months, and she has never been a good sleeper. We paid for sleep training. It, she's impervious, basically. She's just <laughs> on her own little schedule, and she doesn't even when she's supposed she, to be napping. She marches to the beat of her own drummer, reminding me of somebody I know. Oh <laughs> <Right. laughs> so, yeah, so daycare people are like, she should be sleeping. She only sleeps for like forty five minutes. All the other kids are asleep. She's doing her own thing. She also doesn't like to play with the other kids at all, which, yeah, this is, she is basically both of her mothers at this point. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. You deserve this. So um, let's get to the cabinet. More cabinet news this week. Instead yeah. of ag, Marsha Fudge will lead housing and urban development, one of the traditional black cabinet roles, even to quote Marsha Fudge, who said, Oh, they always you? they always give the black roles to HUD and, and, and labor. Yeah. Uh, well, she got HUD. And yeah. for Ag, we are recycling Tom Bilsack. Yeah. This... We're going we're gonna to have, hold on, we're going to have a black defense secretary, but women are rightly disappointed and expressing their outrage uh, because they didn't yeah, get Michelle, Michelle Flournoy. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And Doug Jones may likely be our next attorney general. But you have civil rights groups that met with the president-elect ex- expect- expressing a strong preference for a black attorney general. Side note on this show, we love Doug Jones. In this cycle of jockeying historic first and disappointment from groups who feel like they got you there but don't get their people appointed around you, tell me what your evaluation is of the cabinet so far. Well, listen, I think Clyburn deserves some credit for getting this cabinet to where it is because he came out and he was like, so far, it's not meeting expectations in terms of diversity because they rolled out a lot of people, a lot of firsts, women in particular, uh, but there weren't a lot of black faces. And that's what that's one of the things that Clyburn said. So I, I do think you had in Biden somebody who listened to yeah. that. And that's how you get Marsha Fudge, even though, as she said, that is sort of a stereotypical role uh, for an African-American member of the cabinet. But it also looks like uh, this Secretary of Defense, should he be confirmed, that'll be a history-making choice. Michelle Fournier once again sort of pushed aside. I know. I feel bad uh, for her because she's yeah. so dope. I mean, she's, you know, and it's kind of weird to me because, you know, the the cabinet, the the Biden team, they they have been threading this needle so perfectly because like every day they get really close to pissing me off and then mm-hmm. they, they bring you right back to right. the center. I mean, the perfect example is you know, not having Simone Sanders behind the podium or, uh, you know, saying that you that the biggest issue was that you weren't sure if Susan Rice could be confirmed, yet you have other people who are going to have much more difficulty than Susan Rice in being confirmed. But the diversity is going to be unmatched, unparalleled in this. Yeah, and, and some surprises. Javier uh, Becerra at, uh, at HHS, that was something that looked like it wasn't going to happen until people started making some noise, particularly the congressional... Uh, Hispanic caucus, and then this history-making pick of the Secretary of Defense. 
you know, I mean, I think the Vilsack pick is odd. He was he already had that job, right? He had it for eight, eight years under Obama. He'll have it for another four years. And in this, it's an example of why diversity is so necessary because people keep going back to the same people over and why over. Why do we recycle? And also just just for my I mean, as you are examining Shirley Chisholm, there's another yeah. Shirley who is a dynamic figure in her own right, Shirley Sherrod. Talk about the Shirley Sherrod incident and how that's just hanging over. Because I, 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 you know, for me, I remember it, but I, I didn't remember it as much as I do now. Because right. it was only it was only eighteen months into their tenure when right. he wrongfully fired Shirley Sherrod. Yeah, and I guess this would have been after the Henry Louis Gates thing Correct. as well. Because right? the Henry yeah. Louis Gates thing was, I think, that summer. And then this was after Shirley Sherrod. Uh, you know, if you remember that time, you had. You know, the James O'Keefe of the world really going after the administration, trying, you know, there was the ACORN incident. So this was a, a president who was very nervous about race and, and, and being seen as racialized and maybe too black and, and all those sorts of things and already burned quite a, a ways with the Skip Gates incident and irreparably harmed, in fact, with white voters. A lot of the data uh, shows that that really, uh, he really took a hit in terms of the standing with white voters after that happened. So the Shirley Sherrod incident uh, comes later. With Shirley Sherrod, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to remember, she sort of caught on tape. Apparently. It was Breibart. It was Breibart. And they they spliced it. And she was exactly. actually giving an empowering statement about how she helped this white family, yeah. which mm-hmm. the family even echoed. But Breibart spliced it. And then uh, Vilsack rained down holy hell on her and fired her. Like she was some sort of black radical. Right. When in fact, she, you know, was not at all that. And as you said, the story ended up being much different. It's almost like she should have picked her, you know, as as ag secretary, <laughs> uh, you know, and not uh, Tom Vilsack. But again, this is Biden being Biden, going back to people he knows, people he's familiar with, uh, you know, from his days uh, in the Senate, trying to campaign for the White House as well in Iowa way back when. This is why diversity is so necessary, because you do have people going back to their friends too often. uh, And that's why you end up in a situation where they're not enough minorities. But listen, in the end, I think Biden's cabinet will be quite diverse. But I do hear from Democrats, particularly Democrats of color, that his inner circle, sort of the White House, yeah. the top people in the White House, doesn't seem like that's going to be very reflective of America. Sure, there'll be you know African American and Latino deputies, but we sort of know that's a that's a, another way that diversity efforts end up uh, not really succeeding because the, the brown and black people end up being deputies rather than the principals. Yeah, I think to, to recap, you have. Uh... UN Ambassador Greenfield, you have Patrick Gaspard at Labor, you have Marsha Fudge. Oh, you think Gaspard's going to be Labor? Oh, maybe I wasn't supposed to say it out loud, but well, yes. I got Gaspard. I, I love Patrick Gaspard. He's, he's I gotta, dope, I gotta, yeah. Yeah. He's dope. So he's at he's at Labor, Marsha Fudge at HUD, you have Becerra at HHS, Yeah. and you have Austin at Defense. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe yeah, moving in the right direction. That's pretty good. And then, and then, of course, you have VP Kamala Harris, and then maybe eventually a black woman on the Supreme Court if he gets a pick. Well, I think he needs to bring Justice Breyer in yesterday. Can you and just be say, like, you know what? The same thing, the same conversation that my friends on the left get mad at me about, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg should have retired when Barack Obama was president. You and my wife have the same thought on this. 
I mean, yeah. it's it's kind of I mean, you can't, you can't hang your hat on an American election. You just right, right. you just can't. Uh, yeah. So we're hoping we're I'm hoping personally that Warnock and Ossoff pull it off in Georgia. But whether they do or not, moderates like Chris Coons are the real power brokers in the next Congress. Right at a time when progressives are as visible and as vocal as they've ever been. How does the Biden administration manage that? You know, this is going to be hard for the administration. What are their priorities? How well are they going to be able to work, not just with those moderate Democrats, but really Republicans? I mean, that is that is the way they're going to get their agenda through. As much as there is a lot of noise on the far left progressives like AOC, you know, it, what does Mitch McConnell want to do? How nice uh, does he want to be, you know, to, to, to Joe Biden? Is this relationship uh, real? And, you know, this is something that I, I think Obama is skeptical of, that this friendship that Biden supposedly has with McConnell, he's skeptical that that, that will make a difference, which he's I right think to be. I, actually, I, I, don't, I don't think he should be as skeptical as he is. I think it's more simple than that. I think that I think Biden's Joe Biden's a, yeah, I think Joe Biden's yeah. a white a white guy who was in the Senate for 47 years and so he's going to get more runway than Barack Obama. Period. Yeah. I think yeah. it's that simple. You th- and 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 you believe this is actually going to happen and that Mitch McConnell isn't beholden to, you know, the Republican Party I, which wants to see Biden block no matter what. I don't think that they'll see Biden block no matter what. I think you'll see some very public statements, but behind closed doors, I think you'll see the ball move further. I mean, the weird part is that Kevin McCarthy accidentally became more relevant. I mean, now you only have a two-vote majority with Cedric Richmond and Marsha Fudge. Yeah. You know, and those, so the first hundred days are going to be kind of nip and tuck. Yeah, yeah, which again, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, part of me feels like sort of the rank-and-file voter who voted for Biden I don't know how much they care about anything other than Biden not being a jackass, right? In the way that we have seen this president behave. Uh, and then COVID, you know, those yeah. to me seem to be his uh, mandate, uh, getting yeah. the economy back where, uh, you know, people can make a living and people aren't struggling and, and you know, the housing issue and all that stuff, uh, get that under control and then just be normal and be a decent human being and be <laughs> presidential. That's all people want. What lessons do you think the press has learned from covering Trump, both the some of the irresponsible coverage we saw, kind of yeah. like, ah, uh, nobody's going to ever vote for him, but we should watch this train wreck anyway in 2016, and the much improved coverage in 2020 that it carry over to how we cover Biden for the next four years? You know, listen, I think we uh, eventually got very good about fact-checking. I don't think uh, the fact-checkers are going to be working overtime in the Biden administration in the way that they were uh, for this outgoing president. I think we're much more in tune with all of America. We're much more likely to call out racism uh, in, in a way that we weren't before. I, I think, you know, I mean, you and I were on some of these panels where people were like, oh, it's the economy. And we, you know, the black people had to be like, no, 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 no. I, oh, I remember so- the days when I got pulled to the side and like, you can't call people racist. Uh, you you yeah, can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I remember, I think you texted me after, you know, the, the <laughs> night that, that Trump won and you were like, racism is undefeated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, it don't lose. It yeah, yeah, it don't lose. Like, there is no more powerful <laughs> force in American history and culture than racism. Like, it, it just, that, that's just a fact. And, you know, I, I don't think I'm being radical for saying that. I'm just, you know, acknowledging America's fraught history. So, yeah, I mean, listen. I hope we'll be better. You know, I I think 
one trend I think to look out for is sort of overcorrecting. Like the press was hard on Donald Trump, as we should have been because yeah. of the way he conducted himself in office. And and we wa- we will behave that way with Biden. But you know, I sort of hope that we don't go overboard. Like you know, we have to. So how do you how do you cover Trump though? Because he ain't going nowhere. Yeah. So do we ignore him yeah. or? Yeah. Or do is it like catnip? I mean, what do you what do you do? You know, I mean, if if you look at what's going on on certain television stations right now, it, it appears that it's it's catnip still, and you can't look away from him. And the ratings seem to be there. Listen, I think average people, the eighty million people who voted for uh, Joe Biden, are sick of this president and cannot wait to see him go and cannot wait to see him off of their televisions. Um, you know, I mean, what does Donald Trump do? Like, okay, so he leaves office, he holds rallies. Do we want to cover that? He's tweeting like that Joe Biden is seen. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, is that worthy of news if he is not the president? You know, he's certainly going to play in some of these races that we've got yeah. coming up. Uh, obviously, uh, Georgia and then in 2022. Uh, yeah, 2021, you got Virginia and Louisiana. Yeah, you got Virginia and Louisiana. Yeah, that's going to be yeah. interesting. McAuliffe, we'll see if uh, we'll see yeah. about McAuliffe. But um, yeah, you know, the thing that I, you know, the relationship between the Republican Party and Donald Trump will be an endlessly fascinating story. I think these Republicans who think they're going to replace Donald Trump are going to be in for a rude awakening. He's not handing his base off to anyone uh, but somebody named Trump, either him or Ivanka or, you know, Junior or whoever. So they've really made an interesting uh, choice here. People like Tom Cotton and Mike Pompeo thinking that they're sort of the heir apparent. And Nikki Nikki Haley. Last last question for you. Uh, One of the best articles I've seen on CNN.com recently was, for me, it was when they recognized the historical import of Rashida Jones, who now leads MSNBC. So can you walk listeners through how important it is to have black leadership over a major news network? And how does that translate into what people see? I mean, it's huge. I mean, it's something I talk to all of my friends about this. I DM'd Rashida, you know, basically Michelle Obama clapping, a gift <laughs> like that. Uh, because this is just something we haven't seen before. You think about the, the New York Times, Dean Beck is obviously over that, but these, particularly in TV, I grew up, and, and, and you know, Bakari, you're somewhat younger than me. You're about, what, 10 years younger than me? 15, 20 years younger? I don't know. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I have obviously grew up idolizing Gwen Ifill, but in many ways, she was the only one, right? There weren't a, a whole host of people you could look at on not only television news, just TV in general. And so for her to be in that role where she can pick the people uh, who ideally look much more like America uh, than, you know, some of the the choices we've seen in the past. I mean, this is huge. I'm so happy for her. I'm so happy for the folks uh, who get to work for her. Because listen, I haven't had a lot of Black female bosses. I think I've had one Black female boss in my career at the Washington Post. Like, it just... You just don't have a lot of black females in, in, in these roles. You know, these diversity efforts that these newspapers and, and news outlets have launched over the last 30 years have not worked. They have been a failure. And, and we hope to see something very different from Rashida Jones going forward. I just couldn't be happier for her. Last question. Um, is, has there been a Duke basketball team that needed Cameron Crazies more than this one? I mean, 
Are y'all? Go- How far are you going? It's a struggle. You see Coach K, like, you know, maybe we shouldn't be playing. <laughs> no, maybe we should opt out. <laughs> Coach was like, maybe we should opt out. Yeah, it's it's rough. You, you know, I've been thinking about Kyrie Irving. Why is Kyrie Irving the way he is? Like, if I could sort of excommunicate a Duke basketball player, it would be Kyrie Irving. Kyrie is Kyrie is a weird guy. He's very, very, very smart, but he's yeah. very, very, very weird. You yeah. could use Kyrie Irving on your basketball team this year. Though. <laughs> right. he, he would play, what, like nine games and then be hurt? And it, yeah, he'd be done. He'd be moving yeah. on. He'd be well, done. Well, anyway, kisses to Bella, kisses to the yes. wife. You guys have an amazing holiday season. Happy Hanukkah. Happy, yeah, happy Kwanzaa. Happy Kwanzaa. And a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Now, before I let you go, <laughs> before I let go... I need a singing deal. Bill, give me a singing deal. I've got one more thing to talk about, and that's Trump 2024. I came across a poll this week where 76% of Republicans and 60% of independents think he'll run again. We need to make sure that doesn't happen. So how do we finally get rid of Trump for good? Uh, I think criminal and civil suits will be right there. That's right. Somebody finally doing what we've been waiting on that's fully investigating Trump himself, the Trump organization, and the Trump family. And there are two people that are doing the work we need to do that we need to support. That's New York Attorney General Tish James and whoever wins the Manhattan DA's race in 2021. James is leading investigations now into four different Trump Organization real estate projects and his failed attempt to buy the NFL's Buffalo Bills, which could involve both civil and criminal claims that she'd refer to the Manhattan DA. And Manhattan DA's office is investigating criminal conduct across the Trump organization, including falsifying business records, insurance fraud, and tax fraud. So that's a race to watch in 2021. This is vital work for our democracy, our Twitter feeds, and our sanity. So let's support these patriots. For the DA's race, whoever succeeds, Cy Vance, needs our help. So let's watch that primary in 2021. Whoever will fully commit to prosecuting Trump will get my support. For General James, support our friends at Higher Heights, New York. They are one of her most prominent supporters, and they'll be out front when she's on the ballot again in 2022. So go to org and donate now and donate often, particularly over the next two years. We know that the Trumpers will be targeting them, and we need to do our part to make sure they have the resources they need to stay in their jobs to do the work we all need them to do. And that's that on that. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the Bukhari Sellers Podcast. We'll see you next week. Okay.